Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account for six months, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP8. That's T-W-I-P, the number eight. This week on TWIP. Stock buyers or stock shooters? Who's to blame for the current state of the stock industry? Delkin releases CF cards for extreme shooting conditions. And a photo of President Obama at a military memorial service stirs controversy. It's Saturday, August 20th, 2011. And this is Quick. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show are Mr. Derek Story and Ms. Nicole Young. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Hey. Doing great. All right. First off, let's just do a little quick catch-up. Nicole, you're first. Um, I've been seeing your food photography book floating around all over the place. How's it going? Actually, I own a copy of it, just for the record, that I bought. I did not get it for free. I actually purchased your book. And I'm going through it. I got a little yellow sticky in it. So uh, tell me how the book's doing and, and what's next. Well, from what I can tell, the book's doing all right. I don't really see sales right away. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, from feedback, you know, I've, I've been seeing people who have bought the book and or who are just really excited about the book or have seen like, you know, brief previews of the book. And uh, it, it's really a great feeling, you know, that when people say that they really like what, something that you created. But um, yeah, so, so as far as I can tell, it's doing well. It's like your child, right? You you oh, it birthed is. it over the it's, several over yeah. several months of labor, and now it's out in the world looking at it. Right? It is, you know, and it's because this is my third book with Peach Pit, and my first two books I wrote, you know, on on cameras. And while I'm very proud of them, they're they're more kind of just standard books. You know, it's uh, I guess templates a bad word, but you know, we we talk about certain things in those books. It's all my words, but it's still just basic. And th- this book was my, you know, I. I my inception, I basically pitched it to Peach Pit and then it went through the whole process of, you know, how a lot of books come about. So it's more, yeah, it's more my baby. It's, um, I'm, I have very, a lot of ownership on it. And so it's just, it's a great feeling to see it, you know, out in the wild and people taking pictures of it and Twittering and putting on Google plus it, look, I got my copy of your book. So it's, it's exciting. It's fun. Well, for folks that may not have heard of the book, I, I mentioned that it's on food photography. Give me the one, the two sentence description of what the book is and who's, who it's for. Well, it's about anyone who basically wants to photograph their food. Like I, I kind of aimed it. My, the thought in my head when I was writing the book was I want food bloggers, people who just have a passion for food to be able to take this book and learn from start to finish how to create great photographs of their food. It's for anyone though. I mean, if you're a photographer and you have a good grasp on your, uh, you know, your camera, your gear, your light, you, you know, the first couple chapters might be on, you know, a little too basic, but 
the rest of the book, I talk about styling, editing and Photoshop. Uh, and of course, you know, plating and uh, props and all that. And uh, lighting, of course, uh, the last chapter is, is a, I think the longest chapter it's on uh, seven. Oh wait, how many do I have? Like six or seven or eight or something like that setups of behind the scenes. So I, I show a food setup from start to finish on, you know, with photographs and, and little diagrams of how I set everything up. So is there, the, here's the, the million dollar question. Is there a formula in there for mashed potatoes to make them look like ice cream? No, I did not do that. <laughs> you didn't reveal the formula? Come on. Actually, actually, the entire – I went through because somebody mentioned something on a, a – like a comment somewhere and they talked about just in general that a lot of you know stylists and food photographers do have a lot of fake food. And I was like, well, you know, I don't, I don't really do a lot of that. But And so I, I flipped through my book and the only things that were not actually edible in the food – photos that you see in the book, which I created all the food for the book. Uh, so I didn't have a stylist come in. I did all the work myself was fake ice cubes and, uh, like styrofoam that's underneath, let's say like pasta, you know, just to kind of bulk it up, things oh, like that, cool. or maybe cardboard inside of a sandwich to bulk it up, which you obviously wouldn't eat, but it's pretty much all edible. I mean, I might, I don't necessarily eat it all because it usually gets very cold after it's sitting out for a while right, or, right. um, I might cook it differently to present it for a photograph, but it's all real food. Very cool. All right. Well, congratulations. It's available on Amazon and, and Amazon, bookstores everywhere. Borders, right? Peach Pit. Yeah. Maybe not Borders so much, right? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if you can find a Borders, it's still open. True. It will be in there. Otherwise, go to Barnes & Noble or Amazon or something like yeah. that. <laughs> and also on the store is, is uh, Derek's story. Hey, Derek, what's going on? Oh, uh, not a whole lot. Just staying busy. Got a lot of assignments right now. You, got Probably a lot the- of, you are the crazy workshop doing man. You know, I got to say, you're... You know, I love workshops. I you love, love workshops. workshops. And I do, apparently, I do. according to the feedback, workshops and their attendees love you too. What's what's your next one? Uh, well, the next one that's that's open, the the next two are booked, but the next one that's open is going to be an Aperture workshop in November, November 12th and 13th. And, uh, you know, I've I sort of changed the Aperture workshop a little bit. We I decided that one of the fun things to do is actually create new content to work on in your Aperture workshop during the workshop itself. So, you know, instead of just working on the same old pictures you're sick of looking at, we uh, we actually shoot during the Aperture workshop, and then we're working with fresh content. I love and, that. Yeah. Oh, man. it's it, And it really it energizes the whole thing. It hammers lot. at home, I think, because when, you, when you're shooting with photographs that you – that were taken – like a few hours ago or an hour ago, it, it like the audience doesn't have that feel or the attendees don't have that feel of, well, he's already gone through this demo 15 million times in his mm-hmm. head. So he knows all the problems in this photo. So he's kind of cheating. So you're like, mm-hmm. you're like working without a net, so to speak. Yeah, well, I love working without a net. I think that's part of the reason why uh, workshops are so exciting to me because it's live performance, right? Yeah. But um, the other thing is too, you know, that excitement that you get when you just shoot a shot, you know, that you think you've got something good in the camera and you you're dying to see it on your computer screen. Yeah. Uh, that's 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 what we want to have during the workshop itself, and then you're here with other people, and you know we put them up on the screen, and uh, I mean it's it's really great. So even though it's the software side of photography, we still do a lot of shooting, and and actually bring in uh, real models and work in the photo studio and all that stuff. So it's um, yeah, you're right. I'm pretty excited about it. 
So, Derek, the, the photos that you shoot at these workshops, what do you do with them afterwards? Like, say you get this great shot because you're, you're bringing models in. You're doing the mm-hmm. whole production. So, right. you know, you get this great shot that's commercial ready. Do you Does it turn into stock photography or what do you do with it? Because it's uh, it's been shot on, you know, sort of spec, so to speak, right? Yeah, we, uh, we, we create a gallery for us, for those of us at the workshop, so, you know, we can share and, and do all that. And the models have access to everything. Uh, and, you know, everything has been released, you know, model release to go through all, the, all that sort of stuff. But then after that, it's actually, you know, the property of the shooter. And so they come away with a workshop with, you know, like new stuff, new stuff to go home and print or if they, you know, want to do something with. It's all released. It's all ready to go. So uh, they actually come home with content. I love that. You know, and I would just a quick tip before we jump into the news. I would recommend to to the the TWIP listeners to jump on sites like meetup.com, um, you know, depending on where you are in the country or in the world, actually. And there's usually a photography, a smaller photography workshop, maybe not as, as you know, sort of put together as Derek's, but there's usually like a... Like a uh, a gathering of photographers, and sometimes they charge to cover the cost of the model and renting lights or whatever. But in your area, you could say every weekend you could be out at a different meetup taking pictures. And j- typically, the flow of these the smaller ones are is just a couple of hours, and they go out there and they they have a model and the and lighting set up and and maybe pocket wizards, and you take turns doing a round robin taking pictures of the model. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and you walk away typically with a with a pretty decent shot that you can say that. You shot, you know, and you add it to your book. So, well, I, the part that I like is where where people are looking on the back of their LCD, you know, while we're doing the shoot, and they go, "I've never shot a shot like this before," yeah, you know, and, yeah. and they're you know they're totally excited. Uh, you know, Doug K wrote a really good piece on his on his blog. We should put it in the show notes uh, about the advantages of a small workshop compared to a big one. Mm-hmm. You know, because we keep ours to eight, and a lot of what you're talking about is also on the smaller side, and there is a distinct difference between a small intimate workshop and then so, something where you've got, you know, 50, 80 people. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. And I, uh, I'm a big proponent of the less is more mindset. In fact, I'm, I'm about to launch a company that, uh, that sort of adheres to the less is more mindset. It's called Media Bytes. Um, oh, is this is this the debut? Right? Is this the leak? Are you this giving is, this? This is not a leak. Oh, it's oh, not. Oh. By the time this podcast hits, it, it still will be behind closed doors. But I, uh-huh. I think I should be opening it up to uh, to some people that want a sneak peek or to be reminded early when the thing launches. But it's uh, the, the all I can say about it right now is it's it's about bite sized media consumption so you can spell well, put, bite put me on the B-Y-T-E. list <laughs> put me on the list yeah yeah <laughs> i will put you on the list yeah definitely so uh, that was my little sneak in plug thanks derek for well, saying I'd that i like that i like that <laughs> we want to leak as much behind the scenes information on the show as possible exactly exactly it's, we all like that we'll go this week in civ <laughs> All, right. All right, let's move on to the first story. Story number one is, you know, we, we have Nicole on the show to address this. So let me read the headline. Um, amateur buyers are buying stock from semi-pro, semi-pro photographers. That's the, that's the main headline. And then they ask the question, is it ruining the photography industry? So 
Nicole, I want to, that's all I'm going to say. I want you to sort of set up the context of this story. Cause it, you know, like we were saying before I hit the record button, this, these kinds of stories, you're like our resident stock photographer. Cause you, you live and sustain yourself through stock photography. So things like this, may, though it may not upset you, it impacts you the most. So, uh, what do you, what do you think? First set the story up and then tell us what you sure. think. Well, first I'll tell kind of my background just for those who don't know who I am. I've been doing micro stock photography for the last five years. And it's my pretty much my full-time job. So I do this, you know, I'm a professional. I do this. I create photos just for my stock portfolio. And so it's, you know, near and dear to my heart. Um, basically, well, <laughs> if you go to the article, the very first sentence, <laughs> amateurs have invaded the photography world. Dun, dun, dun. And uh, it's, <laughs> but I don't know. I have so many things I could say about this. Uh it's it's almost like, oh, we haven't bashed Microstock for a year, so let's go ahead and throw an article up there. But let's take it on a different spin. Let's talk about the buyers and how they're doing a horrible job of buying these crap photos. Um, yeah. Under the so. context that 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 Semipro or these people that are conti- that are contributing to the Microstock industry are somehow not competent, right? Yeah, it's you know, there are there are bad photographers in every genre of photography. So it's not like Microstock is the only place where you're gonna see bad photos. And uh, you know, not to say that every photo is bad, because I hope I like to think that my portfolio is pretty good. It makes me enough money to survive. So it's yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't I don't know. If you could see me, I was, I was like rolling my eyes when I saw this article. Frederick's gonna talk to me about this. I know it, right? <laughs> and you know, I will say one thing that I've I've noticed over the the last several years. Well, Microsoft's kind of a touchy subject for some people, and a lot of the reason that I think, my opinion, is that the business model is out there for everyone to see. You know, it's pretty standardized. You know, I mean, people make different royalty amounts on on their photos. People have there's different price levels for different photos. So it's not like you can guess what every single person makes, but it's out there. You can go to my portfolio, you can see how much a photo costs, and if you know what my royalty is, you know how much I'm making on one sale. But you know, one sale doesn't pay my mortgage or my rent. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't pay my bills. I have to sell thousands of photos to to make up for that. So but they're, you know, they're like, so let's say wedding photographers or commercial photographers who they're not advertising uh, necessarily how much all of their rates are. You know, it's it's very individualized. So it's I think it's an easy target. And I, I see where everyone's coming from. Uh, the funny thing is, I usually see it. I, I had a Microsoft ebook out a few months ago, and I got a lot of people uh, saying how photographers are worth more than the few dollars that they make on a photo. And I guess I see it as more my portfolio makes me a certain amount per month. That's how I see it. I don't see it one photo sale. Yeah. I see it as a an entire collection of images. So, yeah. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the sum is greater than the, the individual yeah, photo. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, I could make the same amount on selling 10 photos a month. Well, how would that be any different if my other photos just sat on the shelf and collected dust? You know, should they be? do they deserve to be out there or do they deserve to sit and collect dust because no one wants to buy them for a lot more money? Yeah. So. Derek, where, where do you fall on this? I, mean, I know you're not a you're not a, a stock photographer per se, no, but th- uh, does this affect you? And what's your opinion? Well, I mean, the way that I look at stories like this and the industry in general is that you know we're working in a free economy here, and the industry changes. All aspects of a stock has changed. Wedding photography has changed. Uh, you know, all all the different areas of photography. I've been in photography since I was a kid. I, I had my first job working for a newspaper when I was in junior high. So I, you know, I, and that was a long time ago. And, uh, I've seen, you know, the industry just 
changed and will continue to change. And I just see this as an evolution. And, you know, the market does what the market does. And if, if people don't like it, then, uh, then money doesn't flow into that particular area and then it'll change again or die. But it seems to be working for those who are involved and if it's not your thing then then do something else my god photography is so diverse there is so much to do you know i don't see why we'd whine about one particular area if it doesn't set right with us just move on to the next thing that you like yeah yeah i mean like the, just the definition of semi-pro versus pro i, I oh, have a problem on. with that uh, <laughs> you know i have i work mainly you know when i teach i work mainly with what i call enthusiast photographers yep and you know what? These guys are good. And these guys and gals are good. They are good photographers. And a lot of them could go head to head with many pros that I know. And, and, you know, when you start getting in the world of photography into the whole labeling thing, it's just like, okay, red flag, you know, that someone is just, you know, they're just fishing for web traffic here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah the, definition they- of, the definition of pro, you know, in the eyes of the IRS, I guess, is somebody that makes what more than 50% or 60% for yeah. percentages yeah. of their income through one through this particular thing right so through photography you you must be deriving the bulk of your income and that's that's the definition of pro somebody who makes a living from a certain thing that doesn't necessarily correlate to skill level right it does not. so you could be no, a sucky photographer not. And living in a shack and, you know, <laughs> shooting, shooting photos on the Santa Monica Pier for people, making money and surviving from that. And you're a pro photographer versus the guy who, you know, who's a dentist and then goes out and shoots pictures of El Capitan, you know, and hangs them gigantic prints on the wall in the doctor's office, you know, yeah. and he's an amateur, right? So yeah. it doesn't, doesn't hold water. It doesn't hold water, and you know, so that we just have to d- just you know look out for all this stuff. You know, one thing that we know on the web, people are are trying to gather traffic, and one way that they know that we know that they try to do that is through controversial subjects. A lot of times, where they just pull something you know out of their lens barrel and throw it up there to to get traffic, and a lot of this stuff to me is like that. Yeah. yeah. So, so to support the cause, don't go to the website and look at the article. <laughs> Yes. Don't click on the link in the show Don't notes. Link. <laughs> so Nicole, where where is this stuff going? Like stock photography, you're you're in it. You got your finger on the pulse of it. So where where are we going to be with stock photography, just from a general standpoint, and say, you know, fifteen, maybe t- five years even. I that, I have no idea. Uh, you know, it's like I is all live- stock photography going to be video because the you know. I doubt All cameras that. will be shooting high resolution RAWs, thirty frames a second. So yeah, we just have upload. Yeah, like fifty grand for a red, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it could be. We could see a, an arrow pointing generally in that direction in five years. Okay. You know, I, don't, I don't know. Not in five years. I don't yeah. think so. I think still. I mean, I say that because I'm still a photographer. I enjoy doing video, but yeah. I don't know. Did you have something to say, Derek? Yeah, I do. I actually got a comment on that. It's funny. Um, when I was over at uh, Low Pro yesterday, we were working on some assignments, you know, for us because we got stuff coming up, and uh, we were talking about shooting video, shooting stills, right? Because we need both. And so we we're uh, going out the assignments, and we only on one assignment we go. Well, we only could send out a video guy, and uh, I'm going. Well, you know, it'll be okay. Just shoot HD, obviously, which we do anyway, and then we can grab, you know, the frames, the stills as we need them for the web. And it was interesting, the the graphic designers said, you know what, we have a real low batting average with that. Even though that technically it works, what happens is with video, you get a lot of frames that are sort of in transition and things like that. And you see something that you want, and then... It, it won't be sharp. It's not a still photograph. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I thought 
for me, that was quite educational because I'm a still photographer primarily also, and I love still photography. And I had thought, well, you know, if I, just, if I can only shoot video, then I could do uh, grabs as I need them. But uh, our graphics team did not like that very much. They say, no, we'd rather have stills uh, when possible. Interesting. You know, well, even movie sets still have a still photographer on staff to photograph, you know, the stills, basically. Yeah, so. yeah. It, I mean, it, it's really, it's really a different medium. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, and all the way around. So, which I like. I liked hearing that from the, you know, from the <laughs> graphics team. Hey, Nicole, I was going to ask you on on the topic of stock photography. You, who were we talking to before? It was Jack Hollingsworth. We were talking about iPhone photography and how. He he's of the camp that at some point iPhone photography will be good enough to pass for professional photographs. In fact, some people are shooting weddings, you know, and all that kind of thing with with iPhones or you know mobile phones. Do you foresee a point um, at any like in the near future or far future where you uh, people like iStock will be able to accept? images directly uploaded from an iPhone camera say for example you know I'm uh, I'm in I'm in LA and I take some photos of the tar pits or something with my iPhone I get a good one um or my iPhone 6 you know and I get a good one um and I boot up the iStock app and submit the photo right then mm-hmm. is you think you see that happening at any point yeah i i do actually i i think it's the prop where it won't happen and i don't think now or in the near in the near future maybe like I don't know, five, 10 years down the road when the, okay, here's the thing uh, with, 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 with stock photography, you know, I, I'm speaking mostly to iStock because I, I contribute only with them. Mm-hmm. Image quality is like one of the most, obviously I had the photo has to look good. It has to be, has have good aesthetics. It has to be, have good composition and lighting and all that stuff. Take all that out. The image quality has to be spot on. It has to be clean, uh, low noise or, you know, or low color grain or color noise, um, has to be edited well, uh, you know, visible editing, all of these things. And the only, like, I love my iPhone and I use it all the time, uh, but I, I, I would never consider using it for stock because it's so, it, it over processes, most of the apps that I use will over process the photo. And the, the quality, it's just, you know, the sensor is so small in those things that the quality just is just not up yeah. to par. Yeah. And that actually is the, the reason that I bought, I have the Fuji X100. And the reason I bought that camera was because of the sensor size. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a cool camera. It's really great. It has a lot of other really neat features that I love. But the sensor size allows me to get very clean images with uh, with the camera. And I can use them for stock, like editorial stock. Uh, so that's it's, it's image quality. It's all about image quality. you know. And so that's one of the things I think that is the most difficult for new stock photographers to grasp, even if they have a really great grasp on the technical you know the technical and the aesthetic is to get the image processing down because it's it's a learning curve it's definitely a learning curve yeah yeah what do you think derek are you going to be uh, uh, you going to be not, uploading uh, no no i yeah, i'm not real high on that idea right now and i i test this regularly i'll when i when i shoot in the studio i'll i always shoot you know raw with a dslr and and then uh the other day i just did a test because i test other cameras and so i was testing uh you know jpegs uh, on different cameras with smaller sensors, and then I was looking at them 100% uh, compared to the the raw images that I shot with the DSLR. And you know the thing is with JPEG processing, you know it, it's a wonderful thing, 
for certain things, uh, stock is so critical and a lot of the work that I do is so critical. You start looking at 100% and you start seeing some smearing, uh, you know, when, when they start applies the noise reduction. Uh, you see loss of detail. You see all sorts of stuff that uh, there's a lot of compromises in there. Yeah. So I think iPhones are fantastic for snapshots. They're fantastic for recording life as it goes by. But serious photography, not, not yet. yet, right? No, not, not yet. No, Nicole, no. What, re- what resources can can photographers go to to learn more about stock photography? Because I know you and I spoke. I don't know years ago. You were telling me that when the reviewers look at images, they're they're pretty meticulous and they're looking mm-hmm. at all different. There's there's a few. Sp- like specific things that they look for overall, uh, other than that, this is just a good image. What, what, where can photographers go to get their brain around things that they should be shooting and shouldn't be shooting, and how to shoot them? Well, most of the actual stock websites are going to say, you know, they're going to have a generic list of the types of photos that they are looking for. You know, like they don't want any more pictures of people's cats and, <laughs> you know, things like that, <laughs> or feet, or you know, fire or something, or brick walls and stuff like that. They kind of Darn avoid it. that. Stuff. <laughs> there goes but Derek's whole portfolio. They, <laughs> <come on. laughs> and they also have, you know, some. They also have guidelines and and, and little, um, you know, like kind of mini books on, on, you know, or just like steps by, you know, how you have to edit your photos or what to look out for and examples. So the resources the, is the, the place where you're going to be submitting that's, specifically. Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely one resource. And then there's uh, within those, I know with iStock, there's a critique forum. So it's a good place to either post your photo if it got rejected or post it ahead of time. And you get some really honest critique with people, oh, you know, telling you. And I mean, and I guess to plug my own Book. I have a Microsoft ebook out there that discusses all of those things as well with uh, Craft and Vision. Oh, so, very cool. That's at craftandvision.com? It is. Very cool. Awesome. See, lots of stuff. Stock photography is a whole completely different world. And I, I <laughs> Nicole, I still, every time I look at your stuff, I, I applaud you for, for being one of the few photographers that I know. I don't know every photographer, but one of the, the photographers in my circles that are surviving completely on stock photography and being able to be mobile like you are moving around um, because everything you do is through the internet right and oh, yeah. and generating a good income doing creative stuff with your camera you know and that's yeah, great i couldn't I, I love it i mean it's it's the lifestyle that allows me to do things like write books and blog and be on podcasts and everything because i don't i'm not out shooting every weekend and or even shooting every week you know i, I i've got like probably a month where i'm not going to be doing any shooting because i'm in the middle of moving yeah <laughs> so see if you were a wedding photographer you'd be you'd be in trouble right? oh yeah it'd be, it'd be, well you know i don't even think i'd be able to move if i were a wedding photographer because a lot of well I, I think it depends i don't live in that world but yeah. you know if you you get known in a certain area. It's, you know, I don't have to be known. I'm moving to Seattle. I have to, I don't have to be known there. I can yeah. just create my own photos, find people to photograph, photograph food. And, you know, I'll, I'm sure I'll, I'll get resources and I'll, you know, make connections and stuff, but it's not, um, I don't have to have that, you know, especially, especially right away. All you need is the internet connection, right? You Basically I could live, I could probably live anywhere in the world if I had an internet connection and a camera. That's cool. I love that. That's uh, that's very Timothy Ferris of you. <laughs> the four-hour work week reference. <laughs> okay, before we continue, just want to give a quick nod to one of our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. They're the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. And for TWIP listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out the service. And just FYI, one audiobook that I am now re-listening to 
is called The Four-Hour Workweek. This is by Timothy Ferris. And this is a really interesting book about um, basically how to readjust or how to adjust your mindset when it comes to wealth building and how to, as he puts it in the book, build a muse or a wealth generating vehicle that you can set on autopilot to sort of fund the other things that you want to be doing. In other words, so kind of like an engine, a cash engine that you build to keep uh, money coming in while you go do other cool things, whether it be build other businesses or travel the world or whatever. So it's a really, really interesting book. Um, I don't necessarily think you ever get away with a four-hour work week, but you could probably get away with um, you know fewer-hour work week. Maybe you should have named it The Fewer-Hour Work Week by Timothy Ferris. Anyway, check it out, um, and that's just one book that you can get from audible.com. And again, for TWIP listeners, they're offering a free audio book of your choice. Just head over to audiblepodcast.com forward slash TWIP. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash T-W-I-P. Derek, um, so this next story, story number two, um, you travel around a fair bit. And it, these new Delkin cards, these CF cards that they came out with, apparently will survive temperatures from the surface of the moon to the surface of the sun. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, not quite that much. Negative 40 to over 180 degrees Fahrenheit. So these are cards that are bulletproof so to speak you know cockroach cards yeah that can yeah exactly cockroach cards that can withstand a nuclear blast do you see these finding their way into your bag and have you had problems or is is delkin solving a problem that people don't really have right now because i don't really live in an area that goes below 40 or over 185 (laughs) degrees Well, it's not just your card that has to survive that. It's your camera. Exactly. It's like, hey, the car- look at all these cards I have in my bag and molten lava at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and they're expensive, too. I mean, they're like, you know, what, 500 bucks or something? Yeah, like- 550 for 32 Five- gigs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, wow. Uh, I don't see them in my near future, no. I mean, considering that, uh, you know, there are some decent lenses you could get for that amount of money. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I did have... Uh, I did post an anecdote, though, the other day on Digital Story. Uh, I had a, a SD card uh, break on me, and I had just finished a shoot. It was an assignment shoot, too, and I had to upload it and you know do all that sort of stuff. And I put it in my, my, my MacBook Air, and the, the, it didn't read it. I was just ready to do Aperture and do all that. It didn't read it, didn't read it. And you know, that's where you get that weird feeling in the pit of your stomach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what had happened, the SD You start card coming had, up with stories, right? Oh, how can I explain oh, to the client oh, what happened? Oh, Aliens. Oh. Yeah, that was it. Aliens. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and uh, up by the gold prongs, uh, the casing had broke a little bit. Oh, no. Oh, it was horrible. So I was just like having this thing. And the, what the story was about was, so I put the card back in the in the camera and the camera could still read it even though since you can't write to it because i guess the little white tab had fallen out and all that sort of stuff but it's, it still could read the pictures unfortunately i had my usb cable with me i always carry it and i could do the old-fashioned way where i plug the camera to the computer using the usb cable and i was able to save the pictures oh good good yeah so i think the the point that i'm trying to make here is that you know uh cards you know having a, a good tough card is a good thing you don't think about it until suddenly you have an assignment or very important pictures on there and then the card is looks like it's going to fail on you and that's just a horrible thing yeah but but does that mean that 
we should just to be the just to be completely safe, so we should go get these Delkin cards so that you know uh, we know they won't fail. But it is, is five hundred fifty dollars for thirty two gigs worth the insurance? It my my short answer to that. Yeah. No. Two, two, I was going to say it's a two-letter answer. It's <laughs> a two-letter answer. No, it isn't. <laughs> Nicole, what about you? I mean, you know, in your world, have have you come across any cards that have failed? And would you invest five hundred and fifty bucks for thirty-two gigs for a card that could withstand these temperature ranges? No, I would not. Uh, I, I think that there's probably there are probably people who could have use for these, you know, in deserts or Antarctica or something. I was going like to say that. NASA that a lot. It, NASA, that's a good point. Yeah, like stick a card on the. That's a, that's actually probably a good maybe the one good use. But how what are we ever going to see that again? Right. Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> they missed their window. The yeah, launch window is right. closed. <laughs> Darn. So no, I mean I've never had a card fail. I had one that. It started, you know, like maybe one every like 50 photos would have a corrupt photo. And so I just chucked that in the trash can. I was, I'm not, you know, I was like, I don't need this one anymore. I'll just get a new card. And that's the worst. But the, I guess the advantage I have with the type of photography that I do is that I am only, I am my own client, you know, like initially I don't have to, I'm not photographing for anyone else. So I don't have, it's not like a wedding that if I lost an entire shoot, that would totally suck. But I would be the only one who would lose out. I wouldn't have any obligation to a client that I would have to reshoot or, God forbid, you know, lose a wedding photos because of a card failing. So, oh, yeah. Then you're but, in court after that. Yeah. yeah. So unless you have a good contract. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, Nicole, what's the most extreme scenario that you've shot in? I mean, I know you, like, you set up your own scenarios, but what, what predicaments have you put yourself mm-hmm. in to get the shot that have been the most extreme? <laughs> I'm more of like a an indoor photographer. I, guess. <laughs> I do a lot of studio. You're and like, I stood on the couch you know? once and Let's I almost see. fell. <laughs> yeah, I had I forgot to turn my air conditioner on once. So no, I I don't I don't really. I mean, I'm sure I'll have some. You know, I'm actually I have a trip to Vietnam. I have in, in November, so it's gonna oh, cool. you know it's gonna be a little bit more extreme circumstances there. But I'm not really worried about. My, my my CF cards is the last thing I'm worried about, you know, because I'll I'll back things up. I'll, I'll I'll every night, you know, I'll plug it into my laptop and I'll back it up and I'll probably put it in two different places on top of keeping it on the card, you know. So I like two or three different places where everything is. So uh, I just I don't I don't really that's just my workflow. I don't really worry about it. I guess. Yeah, and don't don't think the fact that you're going to Vietnam in November like blew by me. What, <laughs> why are you <laughs> Why are you going to Vietnam? What's going you know, on there? I, I just. I want, I need to start traveling just for me. I mean, it'll be work, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not, I'm not going there for work. You're doing a Trey Radcliffe. You're sending yourself to these extreme places to get great photos. That's exactly what I'm doing. No, that's exactly what I'm doing because I, I, it's it's part of it is the experience because I've, I was, I was in the Navy for a little while, so I got to travel to a few different countries, but it was never like, it was never, it it was more work travel than exploration travel. And this is more of my exploration travel. So uh, and I've never been to Vietnam. I don't know the language. I, I, I'm excited about the food. I'm excited to, you know, to taste all the food that they have. You know, I'm a foodie and food photographer. So uh, it, it's really a, like a personal thing, but it's also, it will be work. And I, I do hope to create something from like, a, you know, something, a publishable thing, maybe an ebook out of the trip. And, you know, so my goal, my goal is basically to have a good time and create a lot of amazing photographs. That's wonderful. That's, congratulations again. <laughs> so Derek, Derek Story, speaking of extreme scenarios, what, what predicaments have you found yourself in that, uh, that, you know, were maybe not as extreme as negative 40 to 185 degrees Fahrenheit, but you know, where you were, uh, you had to protect your gear. I think the thing that I hate the most are sides of cliffs. I, mm. I, I just don't like them. 
And mm-hmm. <laughs> but again, uh, I'm more worried about my body in that situation than I am my yeah. CF card. Two so. words: David Duchemin. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, big granite slabs with a uh, little bit, bits of granite on them. I hate that. Yeah, hate that. yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm more worried about my camera generally. I mean, the camera is the determining factor for me. If the camera can survive the environment, you know, then that's where I start. And you know, SanDisk and and the others, they all make very good cards. If you buy the up uh, the upper end, that can that can take anything that your camera can. Yeah, yeah. For a lot less than five hundred bucks. Right. You know, I will say that with the the story about the the cards, I need I hate SD cards. And your story about the SD card just like breaking, like just made. Yeah. Oh, I hate them. And why like, why know, do you hate SD cards? Because they're they're small, and that you can lose them, <laughs> and they don't. I, okay, so I have three cameras. I have a 7D, I have a 5D Mark II, and I have a 6CD. My 6CD uses SD cards. And so like, I just, I'm just i going to Vietnam, and I want to take two cameras. I want to take my 6CD, but that means I, ha- I can't use – I have to bring like – SD cards and CF cards, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, I just want them all to be the same. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but no, I just, I don't like them. They're just, cause they're small and they're light. You can have them in your pocket and you don't even know they're there. And whereas an SCF card is just, it's a little bulkier, you know? So it's, it's easier to not lose. And but I, aren't they going away? Aren't, aren't we going to see I, the, the end of CF cards and everything's going SD? If I, if they're going to do go SD, I wish they would just start like with the next iteration of Canon or Nikon cameras. So they're all, they all eventually, you know, are the same. <laughs> yeah. Derek, do you have any insight on that or when we'll see the CF card sort of go the way I, of the Dodo? I don't, but I think uh, what what happens on the next 5D is going to give us a, some insight there. So mm. I, I think what we see there will will be one of the trendsetters. Yeah. By the way, I love the 60D and mm-hmm. <laughs> I just love that camera. Why do you and, love it? Um, it is. I mean, I have the 5D Mark II also, which I which I use a lot. But the the 60D to me is such a nimble camera, and the uh, the quality of the shots that I get out of it are fantastic. I love the built-in flash trigger, which I don't have on the 5D. I love the articulated LCD, which I don't have on the 5D. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that it's just a little bit lighter and a little bit smaller. Um, and the frame rate is faster also <laughs> than my 5D. Yeah. So, I mean, it has a lot of things that, that I just really adore about it. The SD cards generally I like because I'm putting them right into my MacBook air on location and i sort of like that whole thing but i do agree with nicole in that i wish they would make them better you know the <laughs> thing about a cf card is i feel like i could if i accidentally stepped on it it would still be okay not the case with an sd card yeah it's does, like a post-it stamp right doesn't yeah. hoodman have those like really tough sd cards uh that's a that's a good question i don't know but i should look into that Especially after I managed to just break one. Yeah. Well, because I've considered getting something that's more. Well, I use my. I have a GoPro, and you know, I throw that on anything, and yeah. it's waterproof, and it stick it on the side of a car. So a sturdy SD card is is something that I've considered getting just for that. Hey, Nicole, yeah. I was thinking of getting one of those GoPros. Are Are you getting any usable shots out of them? Usable uh, in that you can use them for your stock photography. You know, I don't use it for stock just because I don't do video for stock anymore. I, I kind of I have a few videos on stock, but the way that they structured restructured their royalty kind of 
makes you want to just stick to one thing. Mm. <laughs> like, you know, if I, I just, so I mostly just do stills, but I do a lot of, I guess, personal projects with it. And like, I just, I created like a time-lapse slash GoPro video uh, of a trip to Moab I did in May, put it to music. And it's like my, it's like my hobby within photography, you know, where I, I do something that I'm extremely excited about and passionate about and which I still am with my work, but it's, you know, it's just different. So I love it. I, I want to get another one. I, 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 I try to find ways to use it. You know, I actually, I had some fun with putting it on. I got one of the little, the little chest straps that you, you know, you can wear it. Mm -hmm. And when I was visiting my family over the July 4th weekend, I had my nephews and nieces <laughs> wear it around. Uh, and it was really cute, you know, with cause like little it, Iron Man walking around. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, cause you, you just see their perspective and you see their little hands go in front and leaning over, picking things off the ground. Cause oh, it's like, cool. a, it's like almost a 180. It's, it's a really, really wide, wide angle. Uh, at, I use, just use it at 720. Uh, so I get an even wider angle than you do when you do it full HD, but it's, I, I love it. I love it. And I, 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 it's you know they're they're kind of pricey for little cameras and they're kind of only they only really have like one purpose you know you can do still I guess you could do time lapse and create JPEGs and stuff but I mostly just use it for the video and I love it it's I, I'll, like I said I'll probably get one or two more eventually and find other ways to use it yeah yeah Derek you got one of those the GoPros yeah I've used it a lot I like them I think they're a lot of fun I think what, and and what do you I do with think it? Uh, put it on my bike helmet, put it on when I'm hiking, put it on when I'm uh, going through crowds. Uh, I love it in downtown San Francisco uh, when you're walking and you just have it going and, you know, all the people are, you know, with this wide angle lens. I like it at 722. And, uh, you know, and everything is just going around. It just has this, this really wonderful, like you're in the middle of it feel to it. There, and the, I think the quality is darn good. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I really do. I'm pretty impressed. They're ugly little things, though. <laughs> <laughs> they are. I mean, it's come awesome. on. They're so small. So is, will, what's what's the buying advice? I'm I'm thinking of getting one. Should I get one? Get one. Get one. Do it. Get one. Get one. Get no one. pressure or anything, but get yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say, if I, it makes me having having just having the GoPro makes me want to do things like yeah. skydive. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. Just so I can record it and yeah. say, "Look what I did. <laughs> this is fun." Very cool. All right. This next story, story number three, uh, Derek, I'm going to have you elaborate on it. But to set it up, it is um, this is about uh, President Obama at a military memorial service and the controversy that ensued based on who can shoot photos and who can't, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the the White House official photographer, Pete Souza and everybody else. And then the uh, the the wishes of the families of the people that, that came in to Dover Air Force Base, which is where returning caskets from overseas come into. So you want to yeah. you want to set it up for us, Derek? Yeah, I mean, this is such a tough story. I, I think the story itself, I mean, the event itself, uh, probably was one of the things that hit me the hardest, uh, you know, with during during this particular war when that helicopter was shot down. Yeah. And um, it's interesting. My my nephew uh, served over there. And during one of his tours, his job was to actually protect that area so that that wouldn't happen. So, you know, you can imagine how he felt when, um, he heard the story. So, the, I mean, the story, it is just a tough story. It really goes right to the heart of things. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I look at, now, what's this, this, give us the story. What's the overall story? Uh, of the the Navy SEALs being shot down in a helicopter. Yep. yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this this is one of the, uh, this is I think, to my knowledge, this is the biggest single loss that we've had during the uh, during the Afghan War, yeah. where we had, I mean, not only did we lose, I believe, um, 
what, 30 people, 34 people uh, in this, in, in, you know, in this helicopter that went down. People are people right away. So, you know, right there, that's horrible. And then, you know, some of our most skilled people uh, on top of that, people right. that that were at the level that, that helped, uh, you know, track down uh, Bin Laden. So, I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about a, a devastating, a devastating blow. And then the, what the families have gone through. And then the thing that I've realized, uh, knowing people who have served, is not just the families that really, you know, feel intense pain when something like this happens, but anyone who has any connection at all to to the war or to people serving over there or you know to the civilians over there any when something like this happens it there's a ripple effect that that has tremendous impact on them also very emotional and uh you know when you get to see that you really go wow so when i see stories of about the president uh, obama thing and uh what i always look to is motivation what what was the motivation of the of the White House? Uh, you know, uh, having uh, caskets uh, in the in the background for the shot yeah. where Obama is paying respects to the those who had fallen. I I believe that some of the families, and I'm not an expert on this story, but I believe from what I read that some of the families did did not give permission. Uh, for this, correct, yeah. and that and that is a very sensitive thing. In the past, we have not allowed photographers to to photograph this, but yet the White House photographer was able to. I, I don't I don't have a bottom line opinion to tell you the truth, Frederick, on this. Uh, other than uh, what I hope was that the motivation was you know sincere, and and that the pain, the respects was was the bottom line thing here. And if that is the case, then I'm usually uh, willing to give uh, – I usually look at this a little bit broader. If in any way that uh, this was used for, for political purposes uh, beyond paying respects, then, you know, then that, makes, that makes me sad. That's that a completely almost, different story. Yeah. That's a completely different – and that almost makes me sick, especially given the gravity of, of what happened here. Yeah. So um, I, it, I think it's a tough one. I think, I think it's a tough one. The thing that I would caution against is, is people rushing to any sort of conclusion without really you know, spending some time kind of learning what, what's going on here. Yeah, yeah. Read the story and and come to your own conclusions. Nicole, do you have any? Or, any or, or read more than one story. Right. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, do I some research. We, right. Yeah. Read more than one story. Yeah. This comes out of the Washington Post, and we'll we'll link to that. Um, I think this was from the Washington Post. Let me look at the link. Uh, no, this came to us from Pop Photo, but there's a link uh, to the Washington Post in here that, that talks about some similar stories. Nicole, do you have any thoughts on this? Well, I think Derek did a really good job of explaining it. And I think, you know, I, I, I am on the same page with him with, you know, I don't have a solid opinion about it. I mean, it's kind of like one of those things as a photographer where I feel it's important to, you know, to document and see things as they really are. But there's also the very sensitive nature of the families and the story and the, the tragedy behind it. And I'm also, you know, a veteran. So I feel from that angle as well. So uh, and especially if it were, you know, like you said, the purpose behind the motivation behind the fo- the photography, if it were a political thing, and that, that is just absolutely wrong. Um, but yeah, so it's it's kind of it's a tough one. It's really a tough one. Yeah, yeah, it is. 
And uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's very tough. And any any time we do a story like this, it's tough to cover it because it's you know we don't have all the data, so we can't you don't really want to speculate on what the motivations were or any of this stuff. You just want to sort of bring the tip of it above the waterline and let people do their own research. Yeah, I mean, my bottom line position, you know, generally speaking, I still consider myself you know a journalist at the end of the day, is that. We should, uh, in in the U.S., whenever possible, allow journalists to do their job. Um, but I uh, I get nervous when the government begins to have special access that regular journalists don't, yeah. and, and that's a little bit of a a little bit of a red flag for me. And there's a little bit of that in this story. So, you know, I I'm, I'm not completely comfortable with it. I have to say that. Yeah. All right, let's let's lighten the mood a little bit and go on to story number four, which is about Nokia creating the largest stop motion animation. Apparently, I don't know if this is verified, but um, so they created this. They put this. Uh, what was it? A Nikon? It was a, a camera phone, right? A, no, a Nokia. Sorry, a Nokia N8 on a cherry picker on the shoreline of this beach. And it created a stop motion photo with a bunch of people drawing in the sand and moving things around in the sand to create this 12 megapixel um, still shot over over five days. Uh, this animation that actually tells a really cool story. Did, you know, have you guys watched this little video? It's like a minute and yeah. 15 seconds or something. It's it's really cool. The the video itself is amazing, and you know I'm a big fan of time lapse, so I, yeah. I, I was really astonished by how they put it together. But I think that the behind the scenes is actually more impressive because you actually see the there's a lot of people. Involved it was a lot of work, this. right? Oh yeah, it's a lot of work, and it's is really cool. So I, t- I take a look at it. You know, watch the minute and a half video, and then watch the behind the scenes, or you know, get a good feel for the behind the scenes because. It's 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 really amazing how they put it all together. I'm always impressed when I see stuff like this, especially with a, with a camera phone. I, I like how they they have accents and they where they call it Nokia, Nokia. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's crazy. I was looking at it and I was like, you know, this gigantic production around a Nokia N8. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it, it was it, as I was watching the film itself. I was like, this is shot with a little Nokia N8, which means. In my head, you can do a lot with the little. You know, you don't you don't need a giant, expensive camera setup and all this stuff to do stuff. You just need the creativity and the idea and the time and the wherewithal to, to see it through. The tools are here, Derek. What do you think about this? Well, and, and you need a cherry picker and you need a whole <laughs> bunch of people. That would be in the tool category. <laughs> Cameras like that. I'm glad. I'm glad they did it because uh, you know a lot of the the press around Nokia right now is, has been negative. You know, they're they're losing market share. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, they're having trouble in uh, you know, definitely in the smartphone area. Yeah, all, all all this stuff. You know, and I love it that they just said, you know what. We just need to do something cool that's going to give us some positive press. That's going to give us some headlines. That's creative, and I thought they came up with a winner here. I think I think they knocked it out of the park, and yeah. I just want to tip my hat to them for doing it. I'm glad they did. I, I totally agree. Yeah, and I'm sure they got some letters from shareholders saying, "How much did this cost? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you spending my money doing this?" <laughs> Invaluable press, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think it's a lot better than any boring commercial. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, because yeah, uh, it's, it. it's really in the just do it. Uh, sort of attitude, right? Yeah. They could do a commercial about, it, or they could just go out and do something cool, and I think that's what they did. So, Nicole, you 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 dabbled your toe into uh, into stop motion photography type stuff. If photographers that are out there, they've seen this video, they're like, you know, I kind of want to do that. Where, how do they learn how to do that, and what do they do? What are the tools they need? 
Well, that specific one is a little top-heavy for <laughs> anyone, <laughs> I think. But it was just like a simple one anyone. of like you know a painting yeah. drawing itself. Right, right. Yeah, first get a cherry picker. <laughs> well, the first obviously you need a camera. Yeah, right. Uh, you need a tripod. And uh, you need some type of uh, intervalometer. And Nikon cameras, I think, have them inside of the camera. Mm-hmm. Whereas Canon, you have to have something external. And my recommendation is don't spend $150 or $250 on the one that Canon has. Uh, there's a website. Uh, gosh, what's the website called? Get the one, the Aperture. Yeah, Aperture. It's, that's exactly what it is. I can't it, remember. It, it's a good one. We'll get the, we'll get the link in the show notes. Yeah. 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 Well, before like, before like, you I, go on, Nicole, you, you yeah. mentioned intervalometer. What is an intervalometer? An, interval, uh, <laughs> <laughs> an intervalometer, it basically allows you to set how many photos you want to take and the time in between each photo. So it'll do it automatically. So if you say, I want to take uh, a thousand photos and I want 10 seconds in between each frame. So it'll, it'll, you start it and it's click. Ten seconds later, click. Ten seconds later, click. So you're not you're not having to set this thing up yeah. and have to go back yourself and hit the button. No, I wouldn't do it if I had to do it. Yeah. By hand. But it's there, and there's some really great resources online. Uh, Timescapes.org has a forum where a lot of people, you know, will help you out, or there's a lot of beginner steps and things you, that you can do to really get started with it. So, so, so let's say you've got all the photography down, you've you've created your time lapse. Uh, a lot of it after that is getting the photo. In edited on your computer, so it's you know some sort of <laughs> video. And I actually just use uh, QuickTime Seven and QuickTime Player Seven. I think it's the Pro version. It's like thirty dollars. And if you have a Mac, you know, I think you have to actually like install it on your from your DVD driver, CD driver, whatever. It's kind of complicated to get to. But if you can get QuickTime Seven, that's the, in my opinion, that's the, the easiest way to do it. And then you know from there, it's just how fancy you want to make it with any you know if you want to add music or. So you, you bring in this. Uh, so you, you end up with like a folder full of still images, right? And then you you bring them into QuickTime, which creates a movie from them. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's a few steps in between. I'll, I'll yeah. throw them into Lightroom, and I do a lot of batch processing and oh, okay. size them how I want, export them into a folder, and then take it from there. I mean, it's it's, it's hard to explain in just you know a few minutes. Of, yeah, well, that's <laughs> of, the broad strokes, right? Yeah, that's those are the broad strokes. And uh, yeah, resources like actually, I have a I have a really it's like a three or four year old uh, video on my YouTube channel <laughs> that talks about time lapse with a Nikon. So. Uh, it's it's kind of old, so I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> but yeah. uh, that's you know, so things like that. But I usually direct people to timescapes.org if they're interested in doing time lapse photography. Very cool, Derek. Have you have you dabbled in time lapse at all? Yeah, and I'm I'm so glad she brought up uh, QuickTime Seven because that is like one of the little hidden gems for uh, Mac users. It not only you can do all sorts of stuff with it. In addition to the time lapse stuff, it, you can do trimming. It, you can it's a light editor. If you don't want to get into the Final Cut, it's great. You know, for exporting, it's it's a handy little thing, and I have it sitting on the dock next to next to QuickTime Ten or X or whatever they call it, mm-hmm. uh, because it's, and I nine times out of ten I'm using QuickTime Seven for stuff. Now, how do you get to it though? I mean, QuickTime QuickTime comes with the OS now, right? And it's it's at version ten. Can, if I want to get seven, download. where do I go? You, you download it off the Apple site. Oh, they QuickTime. still have it up? Okay, good. Yeah, and, and you know, most of us have license codes from before. You know, you need the pro version to mm-hmm. do all the cool stuff. So, you know, then, you know, your license code is still good. It's like good good forever on that. Mm-hmm. Or if not, it's $29. $29. But uh, a lot of people probably already have the license code and they just forgot about it, yeah. you, know, with, you know, when they went through their OS upgrades. But it's really handy. It's really handy. Very cool. 
All right, before we move on, I want to give a quick nod to one of our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. And as we've been telling you, Squarespace has an easy-to-use UI, which means it's easy for you to take your idea from inside your head and get it onto the web really quickly, whether it's just a, it's just a, a static website or it's a blog that you're updating every day. They've optimized it for beginners and people who know what CSS is. They've got hundreds of templates to choose from that you can get your idea down first, load it, um, customize it, and tweak it to fit your needs, and then call it your own. They've got iPad and iPhone apps that allow you to kind of dive in and see what's going on with your blog and update it on the fly. Online resources that that give you help all day long for seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And all kinds of modules in there that let you do anything from add Twitter widgets, Flickr widgets, forms, um, Google Maps, everything. Anything you could possibly want to make this website that's in your brain, in your mind's eye, real and on the web. And then once you get it deployed... They've got website tracking, so you know how many times your site is viewed per week. They've got a search engine optimizer to make sure that the thing is tweaked so that Google and other search engines like what they see, so making the the Google spider food tasty. Um, And they've got uh, permission access handling, so you can create a site that only certain people can access, which is really cool. And it uses the underlying architecture is cloud-based, so, you know, everything's cloud-based. It's it's on a server. But they're using servers that are bulletproof so that your, you know, there's a certain level of redundancy built in. So if, if something happens to one of their servers, your site doesn't go down, whereas, you know, with some other hosts, if you're, if you're serving up your website and, Something happens and their server farm goes down, your website's going down as well. So I would definitely check them out. If you'd like a free trial, head over to squarespace.com. You don't need a uh, credit card to sign up. You can sign up for a free account. You can try it out, start building your website. If you decide to purchase it, just use the offer code TWIP8 and you'll get 10% off your subscription for six months. That's TWIP8 and that's at squarespace.com. All right, next up, we are going to jump into, what are we doing? We're going to do the uh, listener Q&A now. This is a segment where the guests answer questions that have come in from our audience via you know, our Facebook account, uh, Twitter, and the web, etc. So question number one, Nicole, I'm going to throw to you. You want to read it and then give us your answer? All right. So uh, the question is from Jason Hainan, I believe, from New Zealand. He said he's organizing a photo walk focused on iPhone and mobile photography and is looking for some tips and advice to focus on during the walk. And, well, I I would say that aside from just the normal things of making sure that it's safe and, you know, everyone knows where the route is and where you're going, uh, you can, can encourage them to post them as they're creating the photos, you know, yeah. like on Twitter or Google Plus or Instagram or their, you know, photo sharing site of choice. Um, and then while they're on the walk, right? Yeah, so, while they're on the walk, you yeah. know, it kind of makes things a little more real time. Uh, another thing you could do is just maybe give them like a theme to work with, uh, like a shape or a perspective to photograph from to kind of focus a, you know, to kind of focus their brains on something so they don't, you know, because if you have everything in front of you, it can be a little daunting. And then if you are like, well, I'm supposed to be photographing circles, you know, then you go out and photograph a circle. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I do that whenever I do a photo walk. In fact, when I'm leading one this evening and typically at the beginning of the photo walk, I say, you know, we sometimes we have a theme like it might be lights or doorknobs or something. But the the overall idea is that 
there's so much stuff around you, it's sensory overload. So you end up being overwhelmed with what to shoot and you end up shooting nothing. So if you focus yourself on something, whether it be, okay, today my, today my mission is to get photos of people's faces, you know, or today my mission is to get, you know, pictures of people holding hands or doorknobs or whatever, then everything else sort of fades into the background and you start looking for those particular things, almost like a scavenger hunt. And it makes it a lot, a lot more fun and you have more focus and you end up with a series of related pictures rather than just, oh, this person was at so-and-so location, aim their camera in certain directions. Yeah. So Derek, what do you think about this? Any tips for photo walks? Um, I, I, I think photo walks for me are a little bit more social events. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually never really plan to come away with great shots. I'd rather just sort of enjoy the company of the folks that I'm photo walking with. So I, I usually my expectations are fairly low in terms of photography. It's more uh, be, if I get a great shot, that's fantastic. But it's you know I don't get to to take walks with interesting photographers a lot. So I a lot of times I'll just sort of enjoy the social part of it too. Yeah, very good. Yeah, definitely. Don't don't get trapped behind your camera. Actually, say hi yeah. to the people that are around you. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you know, I can go shoot by myself, you know, anytime I want. So the opportunity to hang out and watch other photographers and you know, say, hey, what are you what are you seeing there? What are you shooting? What are you doing? You know, and and learn from them. I think that's great. Perfect. Can I mention something real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think this would be a good time to mention that there's that worldwide photo walk. Coming up yeah, in October, yeah. October first and second, it's with the yeah. Scott Kelly Worldwide Photo Walk, and right? And that's in October, right? Yeah, October first and second, awesome. or second, I guess, depending on your walk. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the next question up is about natural ISOs. Guillermo from Mexico City would like to know more about the native ISOs on cameras in order to get the most out of his pictures. For example, he's heard you get better noise performance or low noise performance at ISO six forty than at ISO 200 on Canon cameras. Derek, you're a Canon shooter. Is this true? And, and if so, you know, what, what's the rule of thumb for, for picking that natural ISO? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Come on! <laughs> no, I really don't. I mean, I've heard I've heard about natural ISO, and I I've heard people say all all sorts of numbers. I've never heard the six forty number. That seems a little little. Yeah, high. I've heard two hundred. That uh, two hundred is usually what I hear, or yeah. or I've heard two forty or two hundred, but I've never heard six forty. It seems a little high to me for natural ISO. Um, so uh, I don't really know the answers to that. What I do know, though, is that ISO isn't the only thing that you know affects noise, uh, like how hot the camera is. You know, heat and other things like that can can push the noise up too. So, but I I don't know. I mean, that's something that we'd have to 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 really research. I think it's a little bit of this is uh, you know this natural ISO. I'm not. I've never been able to tell how much of it is like folklore and how much of it is, you know, real hard science. I don't know. Nicole, have you, have you, do you, have you ever heard any real hard science on this? I haven't, I haven't yeah. heard anything. I mean, it kind of makes me want to just check it to see, you know, cause yeah. if, if there is something out there, then I, I'd, I'd like my camera to be as low noise as possible for my, especially for my stock work. And then it obviously if it goes up to six forty and it's still really low, then that's bonus. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I for me, back in the film days, it was 100. You know, ISO 100 gives you the best, you know, well, yeah. or even lower, depending on what you're shooting. But a good mm-hmm. general rule of thumb was 100. You well, know. that's that's because of film. Yeah. It's physical. Right, <laughs> yeah. Know, back in the film days, it was a physical brain. space between the silver halides yeah. on the sheet of film, right? So pixels and, and strange algorithms that can make things look different. So. Totally, <laughs> totally, yeah. 
Yeah, so I don't know. We have to. We'll have to dive into that deeper because I'm I'm really curious. You now Guillermo has piqued my interest as to is there a rule of thumb for for cameras overall or manufacturer specific, and what should we be paying attention to? Is it a model thing or is it you know what is it? I I know I don't you know these days with the cameras that I shoot with I don't really even think about noise you know at 800 or below. I mean really it's they're they are so good, but uh, I get I, you know it all depends as anything else. It depends on what your needs are and what your final output is and all that sort of stuff. But wow, noise. Noise is, is is not my biggest problem in photography. <laughs> what is your biggest problem, Derek? Buying more getting, gear? No, getting a good shot for Pete's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Shut up and shoot. Shoot, man. Shoot. All right. Uh, question number three, Derek. We're going to throw this one at you. Um, okay. You want to go ahead and take it? Sure. Uh, Lens recommendation for the EPL1, and that's uh, Olympus Micro Four Thirds. Uh, Sam Brooks writes, I've recently bought a Micro Four Thirds camera, the EPL1, for my trip to New York. What lens would you recommend for making the most of my trip? I can only buy one extra lens with my budget. This, this is like one of those things you get in psychology class, isn't it? Right? <laughs> <laughs> one lens has to go off the raft. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which one will it be? That's awesome. Well, um, for New York, you know, I'm thinking uh, street shooting. I'm thinking, you know, tall buildings. I'm, you know, thinking fun stuff like that. Uh, I don't know uh, specifically what he shoots. And I'm assuming that he has the stock uh, 14 to 42 millimeter zoom that came with his EPL1. A lens that I use a lot and is fairly affordable uh, for street shooting is uh, their 17 millimeter f2.8 prime lens mm. uh, which means it's a 30 you know micro for thirds you double it right to get the real focal length so it's a 34 millimeter f2.8 and it's it's a nice sharp lens it's a super small lens so that you know it doesn't stick out on the epl1 so it'll fit in your jacket pocket and stuff and it's very discreet and so it, uh you know if you're gonna do um Sam, if you're going to do street shooting, if you're going to be shooting uh, buildings and things like that, I would start with the 17 millimeter and go from there. If your budget that that one's you can get around 299 is the list. I think you can get it for much less than that. If budget is no object, which it doesn't sound like is the case for you, the uh, new 12 millimeter f 2.0 lens that uh, Olympus is making is just, oh, it's a beautiful lens uh, with nice manual focusing and everything. But that baby is up around seven ninety nine, And I have a feeling that's not what you're looking to hear from me. So yeah. go go with the 17 F2.8. Yeah. I, I think you'll have a great time with it. And then uh, off to the races you go. Very cool. All right. Perfect answer. All right, guys, we're going to jump into the picks of the week now. This is the time where each guest can give a pick, and this can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it's related to photography. Nicole, I'm going to throw it to you first. Sure. Uh, okay, so I have two then. Actually, they're kind of both Google Plus related in a weird way. Uh, I've actually started to get to know uh, Brian Matias from – he's on one software. Um, he's the educational manager out there, so he does a lot of the – you know getting people in and learning about the software and, and he heads up a whole bunch of their webinars with on one and they're really cool. I've actually been starting to watch them. Uh, they're very informative. They're not just about on one products. They're about photography or they just had one on copyright yeah. and, 
you know, and every, I think every Friday that he does a Q and a, so people can get in, in the chat and ask questions about anything really, any photography or on one software or Photoshop related. So, yeah, so that was my original one. They are really good too. And just, just to, yeah. to piggyback on that, they are not, because yeah, when you first look at it, it's like, okay, On One is giving a webinar series, and they're going to be—it's going to be like a timeshare thing where they're going to yeah, be hawking no, their not, software. It's, it's not like that at all. They're—they're they're actually as, giving yeah. to the community, the photography community. So I would definitely check them out, and they're free, right? Yeah, yeah, they're free. They, they archive them too. So if you don't make the live one, then you can just watch it later. You just won't be able to like participate and ask questions. Yeah. Uh, but my other my other one uh, my other pick is uh, just this last week I was on a, a panel on Google Plus with. <laughs> Catherine Hall, Zach Arias, Trey Ratcliffe, uh, Brian Rose, and Crystal Laser, who's a, a attorney, and Mike Linksaver, who is the uh, Creative Commons guy, and we talked about copyright and sharing your photos on, you know, just anywhere on the web. And so, if if that's something that it, is your interested in or just curious about then you can actually we'll link to it in the show notes i have a link to watch the replay of it but it was a real interesting just kind of a laid back you know but kind of structured uh, moderated uh, format of asking questions about how we share our work and people how people copyright their images and some advice from the attorney on that so very cool very cool and we'll link to that as well all right derek story what's your pick of the week i'm going a little bit bigger this week i'm uh-huh. sorry but it's just it's just cool uh, I've been testing the uh, the Epson uh, R2000 printer, and uh, it's a dedicated photo printer. But the the thing about it, the reason why I'm talking about it, is that you can get it uh, for $349, and it's a 13-inch printer. And the uh, the output on it is is outstanding. And um, unlike maybe some, uh, especially if you have like an older uh, printer where you had to swap out the mat. A cartridge with the with the photo ink cartridge and all that sort of stuff. It does uh, all the auto swapping for you, so you don't have to do any of that sort of stuff. Okay. It's got Wi-Fi connection uh, built into it. It's got a uh, for color printers, and this is really for people who love to print color. I don't think it's nearly as strong uh, in black and white as you know the, the ones that use the the K3 ink set. This one uses um, the uh, the Ultrachrome high gloss set. Uh, but if you're a color printer, it has this gloss optimizer uh, that goes over the top of the image. Uh, and it's just, uh, I, I've been printing color portraits with it and the skin tones and the uh, the colors and everything. Just fantastic. And you can get a dedicated printer for, a dedicated photo printer, a high-end one for $350. It's pretty- now, Derek, are you connecting this? This is the Epson R2000. Are you connecting to it primarily through Wi-Fi? And I remember yes. a while back, like Only some of the Wi-Fi. functions were, were were not there if you were going wireless. You had to plug in a USB cable to get the real you know, uh, features out of the printer. You're just using Wi-Fi? Only Wi-Fi, and that's that's also for uh, maintenance, for checking ink levels, for you know doing all the other stuff. All oh. they've really they really nailed it on on the Wi-Fi. So no USB and, cable necessary then. Uh, no, you it, you need. I think you need one when you initially set it up, and it's just a one-time thing, and then after that, it's all Wi-Fi. Now, is this a AirPrint compatible printer? I know Apple has their, no. their AirPrint technology, so you can print to things with your iPhone or iPad or something. No, it's not, and and I think it's it's really I, I put it in the. I mean, I, I do run some eight and a half, eleven through it, but I I'm mainly running thirteen by nineteen through it. So it's it's one of my. You know, you have two types of printers. I have two types of printers here in the studio. I have like the serious printers, mm-hmm. and then I have like the what I call the multi-use printers. Yeah. You know, that you know do all sorts of stuff, including 
photos. I use this one mainly for just big stuff, but I'm printing directly out of uh, Aperture and Lightroom with it. And uh, the combination uh, – this is another printer, by the way. They've really improved the technology of the printer. It's one of the first printers in a while where I could actually let the printer manage the, 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 the work and the, the, the colors come out spot on. Mm. And, and you know, a couple of years ago, we, we could never say that, right? Yeah. You always had to have the application manage it. So they, I just think they've done a fantastic job with this, uh, with this printer. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll piggyback on that one. This is not my pick, but my – a printer that I just purchased. I think it was, it was like around two hundred bucks. Printers are so cheap these days; it's crazy. Um, but this one was an HP. It's called the HP Envy, and I got it for my little home office. And it's a, it's a multifunction scanner printer thing, right? Those and are so fun. I love, I love those. Yeah, I love them. And this one's yeah. little. You know, it's just I got yeah. it specifically to be able to print eight and a half by eleven sheets. You know, it's not. Yeah. It does photos like you were talking about, but right. it, it's not what I bought it for. It's like an office printer. Um, and the cool thing, I'm a geek, right? So I geek out on this stuff. The cool thing about it is it's air print enabled, which is why I went with this particular yeah. model. So I can print from all my devices. It's only connected through Wi-Fi. So it can sit at any place. It can sit any place in the house. You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be next to my desk. And um, the geeky part about it is when you send a print to it, it opens up like a little robot. Like a little arm comes out to hold the <laughs> Well, arm comes out to hold the paper, and then it it like plays a little sound when the print's done. And when you when you take the print off of the arm, it folds back into it and it closes up again. You know? oh, I love that. That's it's like good. a little robot. Oh, like I got a little R two D two in my office here, so I send prints to it just to see it do that and waste ink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's why you said that printers are cheap. That's because they spend money on all the ink. I know. Yeah. I know. That's totally it. Yeah. yeah. So. But you know what else those are good for, Frederick? That I love is that they're great scanners and they they're wireless scanners too so it's crazy you you could just open up pre if you're using a mac you can just open up preview and uh, go to you know go to network you know and let it find your printer and you can just scan pdfs and do all sorts of stuff just back and forth uh with them they're fantastic yeah yeah i'm thinking of moving this one out of the home office and and like changing my mindset around printers and like Mm -hmm. this could be part of the the house right so anybody's on my network should be able to print to the printer and if they need a hard copy of something Oh yeah, yeah. So, anyway, just quickly, my my picks, and I I'm going to squeeze in two, um, and these are just links. One is to um, a Tokyo girl a woman is documenting her levitation adventures, and I say girl because that was in the uh, in the uh, the title of the blog post. Um, but she's doing these series of pictures, or has done these series of pictures that are of her levitating, or people levitating. And it talks about how she did that and all that cool stuff. So definitely click on the link in the show notes to go check out that. It's just a different technique of and to sort of spur your imagination and creativity of what some people are doing with photography. Um, and then on the post-production side, we're gonna, I'm going to link over to uh, a Chase Jarvis post about Aperture versus Photoshop. Basically, took a photo or raw image and processed it in Aperture and Photoshop to see what the you know the number of steps involved to get to a similar image on the other side. So it's a really good read for the folks that are using both of those applications. It's really cool. So that's Aperture versus Photoshop on Chase Jarvis' blog, and the Tokyo Girl documents her levitation adventures. All right, folks, we are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. Look at that. Nicole, where would you like people to go to keep up with what you're up to and you're moving and all that magic? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, I, I blog pretty – well, it's, I've been kind of busy, so it's not as regular as I'd like to, but uh, nicolzyblog.com at N-I-C-O-L-E-S-Y blog. And then I'm also on Twitter, Nicolzy. And uh, I guess i got to throw in Google Plus now because I've been really active on Google Plus. So mm-hmm. you can search me on Google Plus, uh, Nicole S. Young. Has Google put the, the names in yet so you could – you know, actually tell people to go to Google Plus slash no. Nicolzi. No, it's all that. You know, you gotta. <laughs> let's see, what would I have to say? Go to <laughs> go go to Google Plus. Go Google Plus slash one one three zero nine seven eight five one two zero. Okay, I'm not gonna finish it. That's way too long. <laughs> you need to fix actually, that. actually, I have my. <laughs> this is the geek coming out in me. Uh, NicolziPlus dot com will take you straight to my my Google Plus profile. There so. you go. Perfect. Look yeah. at that. Wagging the dog. <laughs> and Derek's story, where can people go to keep up with your antics? Uh, TheDigitalStory.com, the, with the T-H-E in it. And everything goes through there. And uh, if you're interested in the uh, the November workshop, the Aperture workshop, just drop me a line, Derek at TheDigitalStory.com, D-E-R-R-I-C-K, and uh, I'll get you fixed up. All right, perfect. And to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Google Plus profile, our Facebook fan page, our Twitter page, and much more. And also, after a long hiatus, our forums are finally making their return. This week, hopefully. So by the time you uh, you listen to this episode, our forum should be up at thisweekinphoto.com. Just look in the menu. We still got some things to do um, to, to make it pretty, but it will be fully functional. You can go in there and establish your account and start posting and telling folks what you think. And that's going to be where we uh, actually search for questions from users and all that. So there will be a subsection in there for listener questions and all that good stuff. So please go over to our forums and check it out. Also, speaking of contributors, we'd like to thank all the contributors who have sent in many of the articles which have been appearing on thisweekinphoto.com recently. And we're ready to open it up to any of our listeners who now feel they have something interesting to share with the TWIP audience. So if you feel like you um, have the writing bug in your hands and you want to get your thoughts and your article known to the TWIP audience, just visit thisweekinphoto.com slash contribute and you'll get details on how you can send us your submissions and if they are if if we think they fit in with the TWIP audience we'll post it and feature it on the site and if you haven't already the last thing here is to grab your copy of our free 10 TWIP tips ebook you can find that at thisweekinphoto.com forward slash ebook and if you're looking for me Frederick Van Johnson you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com Dot com. My Google Plus page at Nicole, wait for it, fvj.me slash plus, P-L-U-S. Or you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. 